All right, guys. So, what are we talking about? Missions. Missions. The heart of missions. So, I want you to think of this season as just the heart of missions. Now, a lot of stuff that we've been going through has been about intro to global missions. But, basically, I'm giving you a little snapshot uh, snap, snapshots of what that's supposed to look like. Um, so, we talked about already what missiology can look like. Um, let's see. The first one would be mission. Anything that God does in the world for the glory of God. Number two, missions, which we're currently in right now. And actually, this would probably be a better way to do this. One, Talk about the Missio Day the first time. The mission of God. What does God do? We talked about John the Baptist. We talked about a lot of things like that. And so last week we had the breakdown of what missions can be referred to. I know there's a lot of ways that we talk about missions in this way, but it's kind of complicated. But missions can be a threefold thing. Evangelism. Church planning. Discipleship, and actually we included the fourth one, which was a holistic work. So, last week we talked about that holistic work. We had a little brief thing, and I want you guys to know that we're not going to be going so in-depth with every single one of these, because I'm just giving you a basic overview of the theology of missions and things of that sort. So, we've already kind of gone through these. That one's good, that one's good. Uh, and we did this one already, but now I really want to take the next few weeks to talk about evangelism, church planning, and discipleship. So for this week, we'll do evangelism in the Old Testament, kind of a little controversial topic because a lot of people don't think that is the case. So let's go in our Bibles to Deuteronomy chapter 4, I believe. I had the NET again, so everybody who wants to follow along. Chapter 4. Give me one second. Let's just go to chapter 4, verse 1. I have to read things in context. So here, God is giving another good word to Moses, letting them know just before they reach the promised land, and, and no one really is going to be able to make it there. So this is Moses letting the, the new generation know. Here it is, chapter 4, verse 1. Now Israel, pay attention to the statutes and ordinances I am about to teach you, so that you might live and go on to enter and take possession of the land that the Lord, the God of your ancestors, has given you. Do not add a thing to what I command you, nor subtract from it, so that you may keep the commandments of the Lord your God that I am delivering to you. You have witnessed what the Lord did at uh, Baal Porer. Now he eradicated from your midst everyone who followed Baal Porer. But you who remain faithful to the Lord your God are still alive to this very day, every one of you. Look, I have taught you statutes and ordinances, just as the Lord my God told me to do, so that you might carry them out in the land you are about to enter and possess. So be sure to do them, because this will testify of your wise understanding to the people who will learn of all these statutes and say, Indeed, this great nation is a very wise people. 
In fact, what other great nation has a God so near to them like the Lord our God, wherever we call on him? And what other great nation has statutes and ordinances as just as this whole law that I'm about to share with you today? So, predominantly, what we're talking about, evangelism looking like in the Old Testament, is not like how we would think about it today, where somebody's walking around on the streets and things of that sort. It was just, um, for what the Bible is sharing, it was that it was kind of like a presence evangelism, how they would act with the Lord, how they would follow the Lord's decrees. Then they would become a light to the nations. That's how it looked like. Now, there's other parts in the Bible, in the Old Testament specifically we're talking about, that it doesn't look like this. It doesn't look as, I don't know how to describe it, as cold as this looks like. Obviously, what happens in history is that they don't do it. They're terrible witnesses. Uh, the, the nations that look at them kind of ridicule them. And the Lord has always just, you know, really hitting them on that because they were supposed to be a light to the nations. But then now they're like... Man, this is terrible. You can look at this in the major prophets where uh, they just talk about all the surrounding nations and, and that sort. So we really are just noticing just how messed up uh, Israel looks like. You know, how they have such a great call. And it's not just to be themselves. It's not just that. That's an incomplete understanding of Scripture. If you think that uh, salvation was just for the Jews at the in the Old Testament. It was supposed to be for a light to the people. People were supposed to hear about that. People were supposed to be blessed by Israel and come to know the God. Obviously, they were supposed to follow the law right here as described right here in verse 7. In fact, what other great nation has God so near to them than like the Lord our God whenever we call on him? Or what other great nation has statutes and ordinances as just as this whole law that I'm about to share with you today? You see, so it was about following the law as well. They weren't going to hear about Jesus. They were just going to follow the law. But... You see this now. You see that the, the great call that they have. Now you can go to Psalms chapter give me one second. Eighteen. Verse forty seven or forty nine. Psalm eighteen, verse forty nine. It says here in Psalm 18, 49. So I will give you thanks before the nations, O Lord. I will sing praises to you. Really simple little tidbit. But it's all throughout the Psalms that, again, this understanding of the light to the nations. So let's, let's backtrack here for a second. So we know that God created the world. We know that God created it to be uh, good, for people to be fruitful, multiplying it, to have a relationship with his, his creation. And to do that, but we know what the fall happened. God already knew the fall was going to happen. It was already, he already knew these things. But the fall happens. And so then you, you have man living together, one language. Uh, I don't know exactly how far they spread out from that little spot of the garden and wherever they were at. But they spread out. And they were still of one accord. And so now you fast forward to Babel. And what's happening in Babel now? God says, man, these guys are doing such great things for the Lord. I mean, not for the Lord, for for themselves and all that. So they want to build this high tower and all that. So let's go down there and confuse the people. So that's where we have separation of languages. And that's really where the people groups start to come into. And that's where you start to see the different types of people all over in the Bible that um, they might have like a little bit of a weird theology here or there. They become really 
animalistic in their beliefs, very idolatrous. They have a bunch of little idols, little things of that sort. I think that before that happened, maybe there were some people that were like that in before Genesis chapter 11. But for the predominant thing, I believe that the major religion at that, that time was knowing about Yahweh, knowing about God, about, about the God who created Adam and Eve and the Garden of Eden and the one who created six literal days, things of that sort. I believe that that's what they were thinking about. There's no real reason to think otherwise. But separation causes division and understanding and division and beliefs and things of that sort. So that's what happened there. We had the nation starting to form that way. Uh, so you can really backtrack where the nations come from in the Bible. Don't, don't think any, anything else. You know, that's it's going to be there. And so now we see that David having the heart after God is kind of thinking back of that original plan. The original plan to go and to be a voice to the nations for God. Even if he was a king, he was in the office of a king, right? He still knew that it was important to do that. Yeah, he had his kingly duties to go out to war and to, you know, to do things of that sort, but he still knew that he had to proclaim God. He still knew he had to do something about that. So we all know Israel falls. Prophets come. And where I really want to hit today is our man that we all know about, but we don't read about all too often. No. Please go to Jonah. Jonah. Jonah chapter 1. All right, so now that we're here in Jonah chapter 1, I want to ask, where is Nineveh? Assyria. Assyria. Okay. So Nineveh was what exactly? Capital. It's the capital. capital. Where's another part in Assyria? Yeah, Assyria. Assyria was a different nation. Yeah. Complete. Yes, Assyria was a different. Uh, probably later on, yeah, you're talking about. So let's look at here, Jonah chapter 1. The Lord said to Jonah, son of uh, Amadi, Go immediately to Nineveh, that large capital city, and announce judgment against its people, because their wickedness has come to my attention. Obviously, God already had the attention of all the wickedness of the world. He knows this. But number three, uh, verse 3, instead, Jonah immediately headed off to Tarshish, Tarshish, I can't say that word right now, to escape from the commission of the Lord. He traveled to Joppa and found a merchant ship heading to Tarshish. Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went aboard to, uh, it to go with them, far away from the Lord. But the Lord hurled a powerful wind on the sea. Such a violent tempest arose in the sea that the ship threatened to break up. Now, why did Jonah have a problem going there? He ignored God. Huh? They, they didn't like them. Yeah, the Jews didn't like Assyrians in the first place. The Jews didn't like them at all. He wanted them to die, right? He didn't want them to repent. He had a specific call from the Lord to go and to do that, but he did not want to do that. Now, obviously, this is kind of besides the point, but we understand it here. Look, there is Israel, and I'm not, 
thinking about the historical timeline, I'm thinking that this is probably after the separation of kingdoms. It has to be. So I don't know if it says it in the text. I, it's probably been a while. But let's say that he was from Israel. Let's say that Jonah was from Israel, right? So we know that, let's say this is the Mediterranean Sea, this is Israel, and this is Judah, right? So let's say he was from Israel. He goes to Assyria, which I believe would be like this area right here. And Nineveh, I'm not sure where it would be in demographics, I don't know, geography-wise. But he goes there. And he has such a hard time to, to give him the gospel, the, the gospel the, the, to give them the evangelization of, of what it means to be a follower of Yahweh. So even though evangelism was supposed to be in the Old Testament, and we see an instance of that, we see people referring to, we see David talking about that, we see that happening. Uh, we know Rahab, the prostitute, was where exactly? She was in, I believe, Jericho. They were getting conquered, but then she follows with the the, the the people that are coming and also so obviously and then she becomes a part of that that group but look at that so we can see how wicked it was before we can see how wicked the people were even when they were being called to do evangelism they were not doing it and yeah the, the story is obviously jonah comes he talk he is a really good prayer to the lord in verse uh, chapter two verse two he says i called out to the lord for my distress and he answered me in the belly of Shoal, I cried out for your help, and you heard my prayer. You threw me into the deep waters and into the middle of the sea. The ocean current engulfed me, and all the mighty waves you sent swept over me. Yeah, I mean, like, the Lord answered his prayer, but because he was being disobedient in the first place. So, like, thank you, Lord, for giving me mercy and for grace. Yeah, of course, he's going to do that. And he had a, a whole entire reason to do it. Let's go to chapter 3. It says, the Lord said to Jonah a second time, a second time he gave the commission. Go immediately to Nineveh, the large city, and proclaim to, the to it the message I tell you. So the Jonah went immediately to Nineveh, as the Lord had said. Now Nineveh was an enormous city. It required three days to walk through it. When Jonah began to enter the city, one day's walk, he announced at the end of 40 days, Nineveh will be overthrown. The people of Nineveh believed in God and declared a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest to the least of them. When the news reached the king in Nineveh, he got up from his throne took off his royal robe, put on sackcloth, and, and sat on ashes. He issued a proclamation and said, In Nineveh, by the decree of the king and his nobles, no human or animal, cattle or sheep, is to taste anything they must not eat, and they must not drink water. So, man, some people, some scholars try to say that this is high probably, that it was just, it didn't really happen the way it did, and that it's just kind of like a great story to tell. They don't even believe that Jonah was engulfed by the whale and things of that sort. So they don't, they don't believe that. Some, some, some scholars do. Um, we have other literal scholars that would believe that because they have no reason to not believe that. And Jesus believed in Jonah as well. So that's how we understand the Bible. We interpret it through Jesus' lens, how he views the Bible, and he views it very literally. He believed in a literal Satan. There are some scholars who, don't, who try to break the case against Satan being in the Old Testament. They say the serpent was in Satan. They say that the cherub in the garden that Ezekiel talks about was in Satan. They say that the falling star Lucifer was in Satan in Isaiah. So they try to make every excuse for it. But like I'm saying here, this would be a literal story that we would believe in. Jesus has believed in it. Um, and so look at that. God was merciful in this, this understanding of evangelism in the Old Testament. He was merciful. He sent prophets to the nation that was supposed to be a light. 
He gave them chance after chance after chance. And then even then, to different nations, he wanted them to come to him. But the nation wouldn't do it, or the prophets that went there were disobedient. So now, we understand fully why Jesus would come. Yes, he came to set the cactus free. He came to do all that, right? He came to bring the real understanding of what uh, the kingdom of God is supposed to be like in the New Testament. We understand that now. He talks about he is the way, the truth, and the life. He is the son of God. But importantly, he institutes something so important into what the Old Testament was lacking, which was a real transformation of inside people. The law written on people's hearts so that they could go ahead and, and follow God that direction. So kind of in, in the summary of that, if you look at it this way. So number one, Old Testament, evangelism, evangel, it's true. <laughs> you want to put that out there. It happened. Number, number two, it was at least from what scriptures indicate, presence-driven. Driven. How they did, how they followed the Lord was supposed to be an indication of how good God was. Number three, Israel faltered. Sorry for my bad writing, guys. It literally is what it is, okay? Faltered. They did not do what they were supposed to do. For God was merciful. God was still merciful throughout all that time. So it's not just a New Testament thing that God is merciful. No, He was merciful then. Yes, there's parts in Scripture in the Old Testament that seem uh, almost contrary to how we would imagine God to be like, you know. But the thing is, is that God is, is, is a sovereign God that does what he does, is what he is, and he's a holy God. And so when you see God saying, wipe out these people, every person, everybody, everything, it's not an unjust thing. It's the sins were before God. It was a different nation, yeah, they were before God still. And... God holds people accountable. Literally, he does. As according to how Paul um, reasoned in Romans chapter 2, I believe, even if they didn't hear the, the message of the gospel, like let's say New Testament, even, even back then, they still had a law unto themselves. They still had a law for them to follow. And the sins were still coming before God. The sins were before God ever present, and he couldn't ignore it. And so that's why he favored his nation to take over those nations and to wipe out those nations. And the reason why he did that was for what? For purification of that, of that nation. Now, it wasn't like some sort of like crazy Hitler-ish thing now. You can't mix in with other people. No, it's just that he knew that what was going to happen with them. He knew that they were going to sway the beliefs of his people with Solomon. Solomon wasn't supposed to have a whole a harem of wives and all that, but he decided to go ahead and pick him some. So what happened? Solomon got swayed. He was supposed to be the wisest man on earth, the richest man on earth. But he got swayed. Who knows if Solomon is in heaven? Who knows if he served the Lord to the days of his life, all the days of his life? We know we have 
books in the Bible that were written by him, Ecclesiastes, uh, Proverbs, um, Song of Songs, yeah, exactly. But because he got swayed. Which is crazy because we, we're supposed to be on the opposite spectrum of evangelism. We're supposed to be knowing the truth and declaring the truth. But the Israelites did not know that. The Israelites were swayed. So, uh, Probably like right next to Israel faltered. Anybody have any questions? Yeah, what is that last word, Sarah? Sweet. I can make it look worse, but. <laughs> yeah, so. Go ahead. So when it comes to people also believing in God in the Old Testament, uh, yeah, you're looking at them obeying all the law, and if they were men, getting circumcised. Like, for instance, like when um, I believe her name is Dinah. Dinah is the daughter in uh, of Israel. So Israel has twelve sons, and then he has, I believe, Dinah as well, or Dina, or however you want to call her name. And she was raped by thinking of the name of the people. But she was raped by them, and then what, what did Israel said, or the, like the, the brothers say, hey, you know what, we'll let you guys be with us, you can have her as long as you join our group, and you guys get circumcised. Why would they do that for? Obviously, because was, it was all ritualistic, it was all it was tradition-based, so they would not have to take part of everything that Israel did. Circumcision, observing the Sabbath, uh, doing sacrifices, giving to, to priests, and things of that sort. Say that again? If you were to show Jewish people now, like, you should be free? You know, some of them would say that it's, it's a different place now. It's a different time in the world now. Like, Isra- Israelites now, Jew- Jewish people now, obviously they are not doing temple sacrifices because they don't have a temple. Yeah. But how do they believe that they're saved? Well, they believe that their life is a sacrifice unto the Lord now. And so that's how they kind of reason with that. And for what it is, you know... Um, they are they're spread out everywhere, you know. They they're, they're there's Jewish people everywhere in the world now, uh, so they can be a light to them. I don't know if they even pose that, but there probably is some evangelist type of Jewish people. Just because I, there's evangelist type people every religion almost. Yeah, you can go to you can see Buddhists. Buddhists were actually like when we went to Denver, Buddhists were out there trying to evangelize to to people about to follow. Follow Buddha and all that. Find Nirvana. Yeah, there was. Literally, there was. They're evangelizing. No, I didn't talk to us. Any other questions? Go ahead. Um, so, with evangelism, uh, obviously, that would be a form of evangelism with Jonah and stuff like that. The debate um, as far as people not uh, believing that evangelism is in an Old Testament, is that because? God used the prophets as well to evangelize to the people? Like, what would be the difference, you know what I mean, like, between evangelism and the prophets themselves? Yeah, you see, like, that's a, that's a good way to put that. Um, you could technically say that, because a lot of theology, like, um, when it comes to, you have your, your strict, like, definitely 
your soteriology that talks about Jesus, and you can't touch with words there. You have, you have to understand these words are important. 100% God, 100% man is really important to the understanding of who Jesus is. But there are like different parts in theology that uh, they can be shifted a little bit to understand them in different lights. So, for instance, was uh, was Ezekiel a, an evangelist in Babylon? Well, most of the, I'm pretty sure that some Babylonians were watching him and they were probably feeling the, the conviction of, of what he was talking to his people. Uh, that could have happened and all that. But for what it's worth, it's, they're just referred to as prophets still. So it's just a title, it's just a word, but you can say it. Uh, for instance, also the, the gospel writers are considered evangelists. So like, you can probably look at older translations or older works, or older scholarly works, let's say, John the Evangelist. Like, who's John the Evangelist? And... Why does it say that? Well, because they're saying that the people who wrote the Gospels were just in general evangelists. That work was an evangelistic work in the first place, which I agree with because writing, uh, you know, chronicling what happened in Jesus' life and being able to produce that is evangelistic work. Why would you do that for? Well, obviously for it to speak to other people's lives, be read in different churches, things of that sort. So you can shift those things along. You can say that they were evangelists to their own people. You can say that. But you can also say that they were teachers to their own people. They were prophets to their own people. But they definitely weren't, um, they definitely weren't kings to their own people, that's for sure. Some of them might have been priests to their own people. Some of them might have been priests along the lines. I'm thinking of a few different prophets that um, were like that. I'm thinking, I think Amos was a, a son of a, a priest. Was Ezra a priest? I think, I'm not sure. But I know Amos had a, specifically somebody, I think his father was a priest or he was in that line or something like that. So you see some people like, they just move in these different directions. And for what it's worth, I mean, I know that we can continue going on. This is just a snapshot of the theology of Old evangelism in the Old Testament. Just gives you an understanding that um, you are probably called to do a lot of different things that you probably are thinking to yourself, oh, I heard this one word, and now I'm just going to only do that one thing I did, you know? So, no, it's, it's different than that, you know? You see it all the time that's happening, like, like how we said it. We only have so much of an image of what the Bible talks about when uh, it's being chronicled, when Ezekiel is preaching to his people. We only see so much, but we don't know everything else that's happening. We don't know how Daniel, um, the fact that Daniel was... Daniel's an amazing example. See, sometimes then when we go into those kinds of discussions, it's not just an evangelism thing. It becomes now they talk about a missionary type of work now as well. So it's just kind of funny now. It's just evangelism, missions. It can be very intertwined and interchanged. But here in the church, we make it very simple. We believe missions to be the things that could be locally done or internationally done, worldwide done, you know? One more, yeah. Well, I mean, that, that's a good example because, but, but that's probably, that's an example that we don't know. He know. We know that Pharaoh favored him, gave him the best land in all of Egypt, right? So there was something happening there. We don't know fully what happened after that. Yeah. Yeah, or you see Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar was like that. We don't know then. Nebuchadnezzar looks like he actually gets saved. We believe that he looks like that. But we don't know if like then he was just being really good. He was just really liking the Lord. And then after that, he, go, he goes on his own thing and becomes his own uh, worship himself. I'll forget after that. Yeah. Or Cyrus or people like that. Yeah, it just happens. So 
let's just leave it for what it is. Know that sometimes things are happening that, um, that maybe is we've limited God or limited our understanding in some light. Let's not have that happen. You know, we can understand that God was still merciful in the Old Testament. Evangelism was still happening in the Old Testament. People were going out. was being called to go out and to do things like that. And that's why you guys are in Bible college for, right? Because you guys are in Bible college to learn the full spectrum of, of theology. Not just say, oh, I, I learned that one thing in, you know, in my Bible, Sunday school class and all that stuff, and now that's yeah. all, my, all I know. No, there's more to it than that. All right, anybody, last comment? So, like, titles and extras. Like, yeah, he had a title of, let's say, prophet, but he was doing the work of an evangelist. Yeah, you could say that, yeah. Yeah. Jonah, right? Yeah. So like he, was, he was a preacher. That's for, that's for sure. He was proclaiming. Yeah. He was proclaiming righteousness. He was proclaiming the original way. So. Yes. Exactly, yeah, but. Yeah. So, it's a good thing to know that way. All right, guys, let's uh, pray, and then we'll get into class. Um, Father, we just thank you for this word, God, and I just ask, Lord, that you would stir our hearts, God, to be an evangelist in every single context that we're in, Lord, that we would remember the nations, we would remember uh, what's happening around the world. We would not just be so focused just here, God, but we would remember that you love the world, God, and you love the, the work that's going on in the world, God. So let us always keep mind of what's happening, Lord. Let us always remember our brothers and sisters around the world that are getting persecuted, let us always remember, God, that we are called to do great things for you, God, that above all, that we're disciples, God, that are simply just men and women sent by you to be ambassadors on your behalf, to be people who operate in your kingdom and in your likeness, God. And so we thank you for that, God, in Jesus' name. Amen and amen.